in the in the middle of a uh, bit of a teaching series where we've called uh, "Kickstart Your Prayer Life," and uh, last week I used an illustration of uh, that it's like kickstarting a motorbike. And if you've ever tried to kickstart a motorbike, you can or or you know pull start a lawnmower or something like that. You can do it several times before you get success and sometimes when you're in the process of pulling your arm out of its socket or or jumping one last time on that bike you wonder if you're ever going to get it to go and i think a prayer life is often like that you 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 try this and you try that and you promise god this and you you start again but you ever wonder is this going to be the time when it roars to life when my prayer life is really going to is really going to take off and and uh and really go somewhere and um so we've dedicated this time to begin at the beginning, not just make an assumption that, hey, everybody here has got a great prayer life. We've actually made it the opposite assumption. We've made the assumption that all of us sometimes with our prayer life feel like we're trying to kickstart the bike. And so I've actually got a little prop here to help me today. I wanted to bring my bike. Then I thought better of it because my bike is sort of a, an embarrassing bike. But I'm proud of this. This is uh, my new hedge trimmer. And um, it's a Husqvarna. And uh, this is my hedge trimmer fuel. Now, when I got this sweet little number, I, before this, I had a, a really cheap one. Uh, you know, got it really, you know, 30 bucks a Canadian tire or something like this. And then I went to attack the hedge that I hadn't trimmed all year. And it was terrible. It was an awful experience. Lots of vibration, no cutting. <laughs> Anyhow, I thought, you know, I need something with a little more oomph. So I went and got this. And it's really fun. Now, they've got handy little instructions. I'll tell you about that in a second. They've got handy little instructions that tell you how to do it, right? You know, so you've you got to pop the, cl- the choke out, right? Then you've got to push the little uh, primer here. Then you've got to... Boom, 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 three times. It won't start, by the way, because the choke's out, right? So, you know, and then you put the choke back in, and then, boom, you're going to fire it up. And so it's fun. Now, I'm not going to fire it up this morning. It's got no gas in it because I finished trimming the hedge, and I didn't want to leave gas in it for the winter. But uh, anyhow, that's my hedge trimmer. Two things about the hedge trimmer. When I bought it, when I bought it, um, they said, if you want to buy, oh, excuse me, I need to borrow a Kleenex that song is still working on me. Uh-oh. Excuse me. So when I, bu- when I bought it, they said, if, you, if you'll buy three uh, cans of our pre-mixed Husqvarna fuel, we'll extend your warranty from two years to four years. I was like, wow, four-year warranty and the perfect fuel. Because I thought, if I try to mix the fuel myself, I bet I get it wrong. I, I have a tendency to do that. And uh, so I was really excited. So I got the perfect fuel, and, uh, and I also got a great little unit. I think with a lot of people's prayer lives, there's something choking out their progress. And I think that it also has something to do with not really having the right fuel. So I'm sort of put these up here so you can look at them and, and be reminded of them. I'll pull it up a little closer here for you guys who are on, the, on this far wing so you can see this baby. 
But I want to talk about that. I want to talk this week about some of the challenges that we have in prayer. How many of you last week, last week I threw it, so not everybody was here last week. I realize it's always a different crowd every week. But last week I, I threw out a take-home assignment. I said, take the first baby step in prayer, and that is to pray about your prayer life and use the words that the disciples used when they were first beginning their prayer adventure with Jesus. Now, it wasn't that they'd never pray, prayed before. In fact, I think I got it a little mixed up last week, but I think I said Mark when I meant to say Andrew. But Andrew, at least, was one of John the Baptist's disciples, and he had been, John the Baptist had taught his disciples to pray. Of course, when Jesus came along, he suddenly realized, oh, John the Baptist is sort of like the, the teaser trailer, and here's the real movie, you know, here's the real deal, Jesus. And so he... He began to follow Jesus. But these guys come to Jesus one day. They see him pray first, and then they come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray, Lord, teach us to pray. So I left that with you guys last week. I said, would you pray about your prayer life this week? That'll be step one. The first baby step that we do together is just pray about your prayer life. And would you even use this phrase, Lord, teach me to pray? Now, I said, Try to say it every day. Try to pray this prayer, just this one-line prayer, prayer sincerely to God every day. Now, I'm just going to take a real quick survey. How many of you, because you, you were here last week, if you weren't here, you couldn't have even heard this, but how many of you, you, you did it at least once last week? At least once you said, Lord, teach me to pray. Okay, so some of you did. That's great. Okay. Now, here's the second part of it. How many of you meant to do it every day but didn't quite get there? Yeah. Which is great. You say, great, well, isn't, you mean we didn't achieve the goal and that's great? Which is great because you raised your hand and you were honest about it. <laughs> the reality is, is a lot of people are not being honest about their prayer life. They don't feel they can be honest about their prayer life. And so I think that one of the great places to begin uh, in being able to develop a great prayer life is to begin with honesty. Because you tried to pray, so, several of you, and for whatever reason, didn't pray like you hoped you would, you are that much farther along in the process of growing in prayer. You now know more about what obstacles stand in your way in prayer. And you have a better chance of connecting with God in prayer as a result. See, prayer is a normal desire. Prayer is a normal desire for all humans. Right? You see prayer in many different forms in the world, different religions, different backgrounds, but prayer is a normal desire because we're made in God's image. It's normal to want to relate to our creator. Prayer is naturally uh, hard, though, because of something theologians call the fall. It's basically the point at which our first parents, Adam and Eve, you know, that whole story, but it's where uh, sin entered into the progression of humanity and sort of this selfish desire uh, to not honor God, but to have ourselves as the center of attention and to honor ourselves and to make the whole world about ourselves. The Bible calls it sin came into the world and came into our lives. And so we're, we're created by God, which is great. So you can just be thankful today that you are a miracle, right? You're a miracle of God. His fingerprints are all over you. And that's true of any human, right? Even the person who's embroiled in the most dastardly deeds or whatever you can possibly imagine it's evil for someone to do they're still created in the image of God but the other thing is no matter how well you behave <laughs> you still are influenced by sin and selfishness because that's 
part of our part of what we receive through what you know we call the fall, right? So you've got these two things at work. So on one hand, being created in the image of God, you want to connect with your Creator, and on the other hand, being influenced by sin, you find prayer hard to do. You struggle to pray and to connect with your Creator. So that's just the reality, um, and that's normal. Now, that doesn't mean that you're stuck, that, oh, right, prayer is hard to do, so I may as well throw in the towel, the pastor just said, is always going to be hard. Uh, there are things that we can do to grow in prayer, and, and that's God's desire and his plan for us, and he'll help us. John Calvin said this. He said that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. This is his, one of his uh, definitions of prayer. It's the chief exercise of faith. And I think that the issue becomes, because we lack faith, it shouldn't surprise us that we struggle to pray. Now, I'm going to go through, I did a, just a big Google search, and then I also looked at my own life, and, and I wrote a list of why Christians struggle to pray. So let's just, I'll just boogie through these. This is not where I want to land uh, for a long time today, but I'm going to go through them pretty quick. Why do Christians struggle to pray? And you might recognize the obstacle you came in up with this week, right? So if you said, yeah, Lord, teach us to pray. I'm going to pray this week. I'm going to follow through on this. I'm going to do it. And then you didn't do it as much as you thought you could do, or you didn't do it at all, or you, you totally found it was difficult, you might be able to resonate with one of these very common reasons that I can relate to almost all of these. Maybe you can relate to some of them. One, you don't know how to pray, okay? Some people say, oh, oh man, that sounds really good. I just don't know how to do it. I don't know enough. I don't know where to begin. I don't know how to pray. Or, or how about this one? It seems childish to pray. You say, well, yeah, I used to pray when I was a kid, but really as an adult, I haven't really prayed. I, I re the only praying I really know of is that, you know, I had a recited prayer that I would say at night, or, or we prayed around the table and the Johnny Appleseed prayer, or, you know, we had this or that. Or I'm not, How do you pray as an adult, or how do you pray in a non-childish way, or is it supposed to be childish? Don't know. How about this one? Too busy or too tired or don't have time. I, I want to tell you, North American culture is probably one of the hardest places to develop a prayer life. We have two things that consume almost all of our time. Work and entertainment. Don't you feel like that? Do you feel like your whole life is work and entertainment? Well, maybe not. Maybe you, some of you have carved out your time better. But honestly, the, the work is pretty substantial. Seems like there's no end of things that need to be done. But then, the opportunities to entertain yourself are endless too. Whether that's on your phone or your tablet or your, uh, your, your TV or your laptop. Or, or It's just like everything is at our fingers. It's like, and I won't ask you to raise your hands. But how many can't go to the bathroom without your smartphone anymore? I mean, you've sat down and you realize it's not there, and you consider getting up again. <laughs> it's like, this could take 80 seconds. I am wasting my life here. Surely I could polish off a YouTube video, or I could see if anyone's liked any of my comments on Facebook, or I could... I can't believe I'm wasting so much time. But it's ever there. It's always there. So we live between this tension. Work, and as soon as work is done, entertain, 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 entertain. Oh, I've got to go to sleep so I can work again. So I can come home and be entertained. There's other things that are supposed to fit into our lives, but 
Those two things dominate in North American culture. Productivity. Entertainment. So too busy, too tired, don't have time. How about this one? There's something between you and God. I don't know what it is, but maybe you're mad at God or maybe you're afraid of God. Not like the fear of God that the Bible talks about, which is a healthy safeguard in your life to not be foolish with God, not to be, you know, dumb with God, not to be, like, irreverent towards God. But sometimes people have, like, a terror with God that, that is, uh, um, that Christians shouldn't have because of Jesus. You know what I mean? So that, that might be it. Or disappointed with God. Some circumstances in your life didn't go the way you wanted them to go. Maybe you even prayed about them, and now it's hard for you to pray. Or maybe you're not surrendered to God. Maybe you've never, maybe, you know, offering your body as a living sacrifice as we've been memorizing through the Romans 12 series. Maybe that's just not, you're not there yet. You're still resisting surrendering your life to God. So that's something. How about this one? You feel insincere when you pray. Lots of us can, can relate to these ones. This one, I think, is, is probably universal. Um, sometimes, do you know if you're praying when you pray? Do you pray in your prayers? Sometimes we just don't know if that's true or we, or we doubt it, right? I had, a, I had some really great conversations with people last week to tell me about their prayer life, okay? They were telling me about their prayer life and they were really awesome conversations because they were honest conversations. Uh, one person told me that they once had a very robust prayer life and now they were in this season of prayerlessness and it, they really wanted to get back there and this is mystifying and difficult and... But that's where they were. Maybe that's where you're at. You say, yeah, I remember having a, a much more uh, um, connected life with God, and now it's fairly disconnected, and I actually would like to go back there. And maybe I don't even know how. Or I had another conversation with someone else who said that, yeah, their, their challenge was to actually, when they would pray, it was like words, but they weren't totally sure if they were really connecting with God, but they were really focused with God. They were so used to praying publicly or in front of other people that when they did that, they weren't sure if they were actually focused on God or just focused on saying the right words for the people that were listening to them. And I think all of us can relate to that. How about this one? You're not sure he's listening. Or even if he is listening, you're not sure it'll change anything. Does prayer actually work? It's a big question. I think lots of us at different points will, will struggle with how about this? It's spiritual warfare. <laughs> I'm saying this so simply. It's big. Why is prayer hard? Hmm. Are there spiritual forces arrayed against you praying? Well, the Bible says that there are. How about this one? Too ashamed to pray. I often think of uh, shame or blame, you know, those things that sort of came into the human race through the fall and, you know, that whole first parent debacle that happened. I often think of them like vultures. I went to Africa in 2008 and I went to an orphanage that was sort of on the edge of town and really on the edge of this town meant that it was right in the semi-arid, it was uh, West Africa, semi-arid, not quite Sahara area, but it was still pretty dry there and they had vultures. So I'm at this orphanage where you see all these very thin children and these vultures perched on the building and it was the eeriest thing. And I kept thinking, you know, those, like, you know, you see them on TV or cartoons or whatever, but they're really creepy in live <laughs> when you see them. You're just sort of like, you really are 
one of the weirdest, most unnerving creatures that you can ever see. But I think that that's, that's what happens when, with shame in our prayer life. I think one of the reasons we don't pray is because I didn't pray. Like you didn't pray on Monday, so suddenly now there's some sort of guilt before you, that you feel, and now you don't pray Tuesday. And since you didn't pray Monday and Tuesday, there's no way you're going to pray Wednesday. And because you're in a pattern of not praying, you don't even think about praying. And you don't, it's just, you don't even want to face any sort of, you know, that guilt or that shame or whatever can come in. And I, I think, it, if I was going to talk about something that's choking out your prayer life, this is one of the ones that I think is one of the biggest chokes. Is that whole avenue of, uh, I don't want to come to God based on his grace. I want to come to God based on my performance. I want to be good enough for God. Even though the scriptures say I'm not. I want to earn my way with God through great performance instead of recognizing that I can't earn my way with God and that everything Jesus did on the cross was more than enough to earn for me. So I think that that's for me is one of the biggest chokes of my prayer life is, is, is you know, that guilt or that zinger of shame that comes into our lives. How about this? Too lazy to pray. And there's no discipline sometimes in our lives and so we feel that one. Again, these are ones we all can resonate. If, you've, if you're, I want to caution you right now. I really hesitated to go through this list because the enemy works double time in the area of shame. That's not what today is about. Works double time in the area of accusation and shame. That's what he does. Okay? I want this to be liberating. We're going to go through this list and for it to be liberating at the end. Okay? So right now, if you've already bogged down in your thinking, just hearing these things, the gospel, or part of it, is coming. <laughs> and that's really the thing that's going to help you uh, in your prayer life. It's to see God as he really is. So I, I'm giving you that warning right now because I know he's working double time on you for not even to hear the rest of the sermon. He wants to make sure that you stop here, you feel like a, a louse, and you don't go further. Right? You recognize that pattern in your life? So if I don't pray, and I'm meant to pray, the vulture comes along and attacks. Brings in shame, condemnation, accusation. What kind of Christian are you? Oh, you're even a leader. Oh, what kind of leader are you? Pathetic, terrible. What can you do when you're accused like that? The only thing you can really do is stand behind the righteousness of Christ. Say, oh, you know what? Hey, my performance is weak. Totally recognize that. But my standing with Christ is unchangeable, unpenetrable, it's assured. One of the best things I ever, uh, probably in my growing up years that happened in my spiritual life was when I was eight, because at six I, I made some sort of prayer, confession, asked God to lead my life. I believe that I, I became a Christian at age six with a very simple childlike prayer. But I doubted it for two years. I doubted it in ways only a child can doubt it, right? I was like, did it really happen? Did I really pray that prayer? So I'd repray, and just in case, was scared, wasn't sure. I remember the one day I was walking to church. We live two blocks from the little church we went to, and I was walking to church, and I stopped in front of Mr. Verhaeg's house. Mr. Verhaeg left his Christmas decorations up 12 months of the year. 
And so I stopped in front of Mr. Verheg's house. I looked up at those Christmas decorations. And I hadn't got to church yet. I was just a few doors down. And I said, I thought I, I want to be done with being fearful that, I'm not, that I don't belong to you. And so I was sort of like, I don't know whether it was self-determination or whatever was working in me, but I was just sort of this moment of saying, I want to just have this last, this is the last time. So I prayed right then and there, you know, a prayer like I prayed before, basically uh, saying to God that uh, you can be in charge of my life and I belong to you. Thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness for my sins that you extend to me. And then... When I was done, I looked at Mr. Verheg's Christmas decorations and I got a good stare at them. I looked at them. I looked at them. His star is crooked. looked like a pentagram. I thought he was a little weird. Anyhow, I was a little worried about it. I looked at it all and I said, I'm going to remember that this moment happened. And from now on, I belong to Jesus. Eight-year-old thinking worked. It worked, it worked, it worked. I've never, 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 never since then doubted that I belong to Jesus. Performance? Up, down, all over the place. Weaknesses? Galore. Falling into temptation? Yes, and then some. Not always representing Christ well? Easy to say that. But am I his? Yes. Because of Christ. Because what he did on the cross because of what he did. And that's the way that I come. And that's the way that I have to pray. Because of what Christ did, I can enter into the presence of God. I want to encourage you, no matter what you struggle with, no matter what you encountered this week, no matter what kind of accusation that came zinging your way this week, no matter what kind of lies the devil told you, no matter what kind of uh, condemnation you personally felt, no matter what guilt settled in, We all struggle in those ways. You're not alone in your experience. But we have a great advocate. We have Jesus Christ. And he stands with us. And you know, we have the Spirit. Let me share this, Romans 8, 26. It says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He knows that we're weak in prayer. So don't try to be impressive in prayer. Just cry out for help. Allow yourself to be unimpressive in prayer. Allow yourself to be a beginner. You know, when I went to church lots growing up, I'd often hear pastors talk about prayer, and there's one story that always came out, the Martin Luther story. Anyone know which one I'm talking about? You know, Martin Luther in prayer? Some of you know, okay. This is how the story goes. If you haven't, you, maybe you'll recognize it when I say it. Someone was asking Martin Luther, what about his day, the next day? And he says, tomorrow, I'll, I'll just read it to make sure I get the right word. He says, tomorrow, work, work from early to late. That's what his day was going to be. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. How many have heard that story now? You recognize it a little bit? Or at least the quote? Remember when I heard that, I would think, oh, I'd love to be like Martin Luther. And then when I would try to pray, I'd find out, oh, I'm not like Martin Luther. He's a prayer hero, I'm a prayer zero. He's a prayer warrior, I'm a prayer wimp. I 
I think that sometimes these stories we're not ready for. We're not ready for them yet. I don't plan to use a lot of those type of stories in, in the weeks to come. Because I don't want to give the enemy fertile ground for an accusation. Now, now, I think they're meant to inspire us and encourage us. And the reason is, I think they're meant to show us that there's more. There's more for us. But you know what? The enemy loves to come in. The vulture will come in, right? He'll accuse you. He'll tell you. Remember that time when you promised God that you were going to really be praying an hour a day, and then you, by Wednesday, you quit? Spirit knows we're weak. God is there to help us when we're accused. Even when our own heart accuses us, he is greater than our own heart. Let me give you another Martin Luther quote to bring balance, to prove that we're all sinners and they're naturally awful at prayer. <laughs> Here's a quote from Martin Luther that I hope will comfort you. So it was the, one of the busiest times of his busy life and he wrote to his friend Philip Melanchthon. This is what he wrote. You extol me so much. Your high opinion of me shames and tortures me since unfortunately I sit here like a fool and hardened in leisure pray little. I do not sigh for the church of God. In short, I should be ardent in spirit, but I'm ardent in the flesh, in lust, laziness, leisure, and sleepiness. Already eight days have passed in which I have not prayed or studied. This is partly because of the temptations of the flesh and partly because I'm tortured by other burdens. He was a prayer loser too. He was human. He was a sinner. Maybe it doesn't get you excited. gets me excited. We can all be beginners. You say, I've been a Christian for 60 years. I, I can't get honest about my prayer life. I would pray that you could. I would pray that we could create a culture here where you could. We could be really real about where you're at in prayer. I tried to pray every day this week. Lord, teach me to pray. And I missed some days. I'm the one telling you to do it. I'm the one challenging you to step up in prayer. I missed some days this week. So do I run away from God or run to God? Do I slink away because of my performance or do I boldly approach the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done? Am I standing because of what I've done or am I standing because of what he's done? So my tendency would be to look at why I don't pray or talk about... Uh, let me just let me just jump forward a little bit. So you could look at why you don't pray and just get bogged down there. Or you could jump into what are the best prayer techniques, strategies, practices, implementation plans. But I think actually if you're going to get the best fuel to kickstart your prayer life, I think you need to go somewhere else. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about having a good conversation with somebody. 
because prayer was conversation with God. I want you to think of having a good conversation with somebody. Three, three places you could focus. One, you could focus on yourself. Will that make the best conversation? I don't think so. Right? So I'm having a conversation with somebody, but I'm thinking about, oh man, I haven't talked to them for a long time. And I'm not very good at talking to them. And last time I offended them. And I, I, I say dumb things. And, 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 uh, and uh, well, maybe I'll try to impress them with a story about myself. Bad strategy. Not the best way. Dale Carnegie would thumbs down the whole thing, right? Okay? If you don't know who Dale Carnegie is, it doesn't matter. He's, he's old and dead. Okay? But he wrote a really great book on how to win friends and influence people, but you don't have to read it. Anyhow, second strategy. Focus on the conversation. That's better. So you're thinking about, what would be a good way to make this conversation flow? Yes. Maybe I'll use this technique or this strategy or this thing I learned from Dale Carnegie. You know, I'll do these things. It's better. But I think there's a better one, and that is focus on the other person. Very simple, isn't it? Just focus on the other person. Not on how the conversation's going, the give and the take, and not on myself, because surely that's not the best way to relate to someone and connect with them. Focus on them. Focus on them. Again, Dale Carnegie, we'll let him have a quote, said you'll make more friends in 20 minutes listening to other people than you will in two months trying to impress them with stories about yourself. So we'll let him have a little word in the sermon, but focus on them. Same with the prayer life. Oh, God, I'm a terrible prayer. I can't believe, you know, you even let a louse like me into your presence. Well, okay, it is grace that you're into his presence, but focusing on yourself is where the enemy comes in with the accusation. That was my weakness this week. Self-focus. That's where I got tripped up this week. It's especially hard if people think you're spiritual. especially hard. Because now you have a temptation to live to people's expectations instead of simply approaching God. You have a temptation to be dishonest instead of being authentic. So what was the big, what was the fuel for me? What was the ticket for me? What was the big thing for me that actually came to me this week? The key for me, the thing that was going to really kickstart my prayer life was self-forget, self for, I can't even say it, self-forgetfulness. <laughs> self-forgetfulness. Why does the scriptures tell us to, uh, to set our, our, our eyes on Christ, to focus on Christ? Because that's when you're going to have the right relationship with him. That's when you're going to have a good relationship with him. Let me read you from Luke chapter 11. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. It doesn't say which disciples said it, but I assume he's saying it for the crowd of disciples that were the us he's mentioning in there. Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, pray. When you pray, say, Father, or in some text, our Father. First thing I want you just to grab as we're going through this text is the word father. So, have you ever been in a situation where two people are over there and they're having a wonderful conversation and you're sitting here and wishing you were a part of it? Probably 
Some of you had, most of you, maybe, maybe all of you, okay? So you're like, man, I wish I was part of that fun, interesting, exciting conversation. I wish I was included. In fact, I wish I had the kind of relationship it seems that those two people have. I would really like to be in this. I sort of think that's what the disciples were thinking. It says they saw Jesus praying. So Jesus is praying. He's talking to the Father, whether he's on his knees or standing, I don't know. But he's talking to his Father. And these guys are over here going, wow, that would be awesome. Wouldn't it be cool to be included in that? Wouldn't it be amazing to be part of that? Wouldn't it be amazing to have a relationship with God, the Father, like Jesus has? And so they come over and they tap him and they say, hey, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Will you teach us to have that kind of relationship? And he says, sure. First thing you need to start with is this word, Father. No, no, come in, come in close. All you guys, oh, 12 of you, big crowd. Come on in, come in, come in close, come in. This is how you begin. Recognize that God's your father. So start with father. This is amazing. He could have said, oh yeah, you mean you want to talk to my father, God? Oh well, okay. Well, you know, it's not like you're going to ever have a relationship with God like I have with God. It's not like you'll ever be included in something like that. So, you know, you sort of keep your distance. Uh, maybe you could go to the outer courts of the temple or the inner courts, you know, but not too far. The Holy of Holies, you could never be in there. You can't ever be that close to God. Like, I, no, he says, come here, come here, come here. Father, he's your father. You know, Mary Magdalene, when, when Jesus, after he was, died and came back, resurrected, that whole story, he says, go tell the disciples. Go tell the disciples. And in that statement, he says, He's basically saying, I'm going back to the Father, but he's going back. I'm going back to my Father and your Father. That's what he tells Mary. Tell them, I'm going back to my Father and your Father. Another point when Jesus in, in John, where he's praying, he's, he's praying, he, he alludes to the fact that you, Father, love them like you love me. Can you get a handle on that? God loves you. I almost don't want to breathe it and say it. As much as he loves Jesus. Prayer is enjoying the fact that God is your father. Not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. And so we enter into this intimate relationship. We enter into this father relationship with God. Jesus just pulls us in and says, talk to your father. I've said the Lord's Prayer thousands of times. It's happening in schools all the time. It happens, or not very many. I guess there's one left. Anyhow, there's, but you know what? People pray the Lord's Prayer and stuff like that. So because of repetition, maybe it doesn't have that same value, but just think about it. Father. God wants you to know that he's your father. 
that he wants to relate to you as a father. In fact, the rest of this passage, let's read it. It tells us more about that. And you're going to hear another great word in there too that's powerful. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is a little bit abbreviated version. You'll find a longer version, I think, in Matthew. Then Jesus said to them, Okay, so he's taught them this prayer, and then he says this extra little story. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside says, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, in the Eastern culture was a really hospitable culture. And people who would have heard this would have said, yeah, that's right. People won't break that rule. If you went to your friend and you asked for a loaf of bread and you just kept being insistent, he would realize, I'm in the wrong and I, I, have, to, I have to give it because that's what we do. We're a hospitable culture. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Then he goes on to say this. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? couple things in there. We can relate to God as our father. We can also relate to God as our friend. This isn't the only passage that talks about that we are also friends of God. Not just servants, but friends. Bring those things into your prayer life. God, you're my father. God, you're my friend. I meant to have friendship with you as well. See, prayer is two things, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with these things today, just to encourage you. Prayer is two things, and these things should both show up in our prayer lives as we grow. One is presence, the presence of God, um, the relationship that we have with God. So on this side, let's just say that. There's the presence and, and relationship with God. And over here is uh, provision, or maybe we could say power, or, or the results of asking. And you know what? I've noticed this with Christians is that some people like to camp here and only here. And they'll be like, yeah, prayer is really good because you have relationship with God, which is all true. And, uh, and the end result of it basically is we become more like Jesus as we spend time with him. And our characters changed because of spending time with God. All true. It's good stuff. And then some Christians like to camp over here, and they're like, oh, prayer for me is just really about coming to the throne of grace, asking for things that are needed in my life, and I, I plead with God, and he answers prayer. So one person's like, it's relationship, and the other person's like, it's results. And I don't think there was ever meant to be a divide between the two. We come to a good and gracious father who gives good gifts to his kids. So I think when we come to God, 
we, we come saying, I'm here to be in relationship with you, not just, to, not just to get results. I'm not just here to grab something out of your hand and run away. I want that relationship, that intimacy, that time with you, that uh, I, I want to worship and adore you. I want to, I want to interact with you, God. I, I value relationship. But at the same time, you're a father who, who wants to give good gifts to your children. Can you imagine dads, moms, if your kid wanted that, which is great, but never, ever let you help them? Or what if your kid only wanted stuff from you and never wanted a relationship with you? Those are both broken ways of relating. They're not the whole picture. So if your prayer life is in one camp or the other, you say, I'm all about relationship, but you hesitate to tiptoe into this area and actually ask God to do something to help you. Then I would challenge you, this is my my challenge for you, is to tiptoe over here and ask. Tiptoe over, ask your good father. But if you're over here and all you do is sort of run in, ask, don't spend any time with God, it's just sort of like business, get it done, well then, I invite you to tiptoe over here and spend some time in relationship with him. And God will show you which one you need. Because you can pray about your prayer life. We learned that last week, right? So Lord, teach me to pray and teach me if one of these is missing. Relationship or provision. Is one of these missing from my life in the way that I approach you? See, the real fuel for our prayer life is to see God as he really is. In the week to come, we'll do more. We'll talk more about God as he really is. The God that we pray to, it's not about a technique. It's not about overcoming your obstacles. Those things are are important. We'll talk about practicalities. The big thing is to see God as he really is, to approach him for who he really is and to relate it to him in that way. That's where we want to go. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, would you teach each one of us how to pray? Would you teach me how to pray? Everybody who's listening here today, anyone who listens to this podcast, Lord, I pray that you would you just teach us. Lord, I I it's not up to us to prescribe the school you want to enroll us in or the way that you want to teach us how to pray. I expect that things might come along that are unexpected to us or we might struggle in prayer in ways that we didn't think we would. And uh, Lord, would you help us to exercise faith with those experiences? Help us to walk in faith and, and to see even the challenges, even the struggles of prayer as part of your good plan. Lord, I... 
I ask that you'd show each one of us uh, the next step that you want us to walk in in prayer. I threw out a challenge here today, Lord, you know it. Would you, by your spirit, help that be clear for people? That we would understand uh, what is the next step? Whether it's spending time with you or, or maybe it's having the courage to ask you to actually intervene in real life situations. God, I just, I just, uh, I ask that you'd help us. You'd teach us to pray. And Lord, maybe add a very important word to our prayer this week. Father. Thank you, Lord, that you are a father. That you're a good father. We have your word to spell out part of that. And yet, it's almost like we need to have a sanctified imagination to fill in the rest because for some of us, the father picture is a bit marred by sin. And we don't see it clearly. We don't see how exciting and wonderful it is that you are our father. So God, if there's, if there's a way that you, um, I, I believe there is going to be a way, but Lord, would you, show, would you lead us into that reclaiming of the greatness of the fatherhood of God. Lord, if we need to forgive our earthly fathers this week, you're going to lead us into that. Lead on. Help us to take that courageous path. If you're just going to start speaking to us as a father to a child, give us ears to hear that. If you've got affirmation and affection that uh, we've been badly needing, I pray that our hearts would be open to it, to receive it. But thank you so much that you're our Father and that we can walk with you, approach you, commune with you. And thank you that the failures of each week are not the final story. But what you're doing is a much bigger thing than that. So thank you, Lord Jesus, that you never leave us or forsake us. In your name, amen. to me.